0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Brad Keeney. Brad is an internationally renowned scholar and therapist, teacher, and speaker. He's also the founder of Life Force Theater, an ongoing performance experiment of intense expression portraying the creative life force. He is recognized by elders of indigenous traditions worldwide as a shaman elder and is considered a spokesperson. For the Old Ways of Ecstatic Shaking Brad is the author of several classics in the field of psychotherapy including Aesthetics of Change as well as the book Shaking Medicine Brad has worked with Sounds True to create the audio learning series Shaking, the original path to ecstasy and healing as well as the book Shamans of the World In this episode of Insights at the Edge Brad and I spoke about how to instigate shaking, what it might mean to be struck by lightning as a metaphor for spiritual awakening, the value of both arousal and relaxation in spiritual practice, and why absurdity is so important on the spiritual path. Here's my intriguing and shook-up conversation with Brad Keeney. Brad, let's talk about shaking.
1: I'm ready for it. You're ready?
0: Okay. You write about and teach about shaking as a type of medicine. So let's just start right there. How can shaking be healing? How can it be a medicine?
1: Well, there's two sides to that. The one side would be coming at it from the West, where we're going to have scientific principles and look at there's something that takes place when the body is turned on to go into what formally are called automatisms. And if you're a hypnotist, if you sort of get a finger to wiggle, you call it a little idiomotor response. But if you stand in a certain kind of way and balance your body, you'll find that the muscles start to shake, they start to vibrate. And those automatisms are, are something natural. Everyone can do it, everyone's experienced it. And everyone probably is most familiar with an automatism, the smallest kind of shaking, if they sat in a rocking chair and then had that feeling where I don't think I'm rocking. I think the chair's rocking me. And it's actually a body automatism. You're not consciously willing it. You're not even aware that you're making the movement, but it happens. The other two arenas that we uh, run into automatism are in the phenomenon of pendulum swinging, where we think it's doing it magically. It's actually our body automatically moving, and the same with the dowsing rod. So we you know our body has the natural form of expression called Shaking. And if it's precipitated, when you are truly feeling a heart awakening, and that's brought about by music that really has wings to lift you into the highest imaginative sky of your visionary hopes and dreams, then it kicks in an, in an ecstatic way. And we see that in rock concerts and Grateful Deadhead kind of reunions, and we see it in Sanctified Black Church, and of course it's all over the African diaspora. That's something that is a, a little more interesting than a simple automatism, and that becomes a healing medicine. In fact, what's most interesting is that it is the first medicine, the first spiritual practice, and the first way of having relationship with the great mystery, because we now know that we're all from Africa, southern Africa, the oldest ancestral culture, the Kalahari Bushmen. Over perhaps 100,000 years ago, We know because of the rock art images that the very first form of healing and spirituality, the first religion, the first well-being program, the first spa, the first of anything that involved people trying to get out of the everyday habitual mind and find themselves in relationship to the great mystery of the divine, was shaking. But even though I've said this, it has nothing to do with shaking. It has to do with something else. Underneath the shaking is awakening of the heart that is so wild and so extreme that it's best to call it extreme love this is the kind of love that a mystic talks about when they feel like they're making love with the gods and in that kind of heart piercing that kind of dramatic extraordinary life awakening that's entirely about feelings it's not about any realization don't believe anyone who says spirituality has anything to do with understanding something new it's not about understanding a blasted thing it's about being completely hit by lightning in your heart in this extraordinary shower of blessings. This, this love just flows. And in that, you can't help but tremble and shake. So it's about being hit by lightning of extreme love, and that makes you shake. And so the shaking medicine is the manifestation that we see. Somebody's shaking because they're just so filled with extreme love, and that's healing.
0: Now, Brad, it seems, though, that you could shake for different reasons. I mean, you're talking about a sort of heart-centered shaking. but. Yes. That's right. Couldn't people go into shaking out of trauma or fear or all different kinds? Are there different categories of shaking?
1: Uh, yes, there are. I mean, the body has it as an automatic response. Again, uh, it can be triggered simply by the way in which you uh, align yourself in, in space. So if you stand up now and, and lean on the ball of your foot and, and, and get a particular angle going, you'll create a shaking in your, in your leg. And that's, that's just simply a muscle clonus, a, a vibration, an oscillation of the muscle that takes place due to the way the body is aligned in space. But shock and fear and all kinds of things do precipitate trembling, as we all know, as does ec- ecstasy. So it's a natural body response. In fact, it's the counter response to the relaxation response. So we know in the West, for the most part, that healing has had to do with relaxation, whether through relaxation technique or meditation when it's um, housed inside a spiritual tradition. But that's only half the equation. The other half of the equation for natural healing response, whether the trembling is precipitated by fear or joy, is in heightened arousal, not arousal, not not relaxation, but arousal. Now, there are people already who have been aware of the medicinal and the well-being um, consequences of shaking. Uh, it at first was noticed uh, by... By the Russians, back in the competitive days of the Olympics, when they were trying to find an edge, they they found that shaking the athletes' muscles gave them performance improvement. So they not only shook the muscles of their athletes; they created machines that they could step into and, and started to get the shake. And now this is spreading all over the world. So you're going to see this. I mean, we're going to announce right now that you're going to see a whole new wave and well-being product, it's going to have a technology, and it's going to have a practice. And already there are therapists treating trauma, because they just tell you, get a natural body automatism, and you'll go through a healing cycle. It's happening all over the world now. There are practitioners who are offering shaking as an alternative to release the trauma associated with something that was uh, traumatic, or something that was shocking, something that was extraordinarily painful in their life. So it comes in different categories, but at its root is its automatic body response. But the kind of shaking that is precipitated by a heart awakening is something very special, something very new and not remembered by most of our particular modern world.
0: So someone's listening and they're like, okay, I want to explore shaking i've been meditating i've been focused on the relaxation side but i get that this arousal side could have benefit where do i start
1: well they probably already had it start in meditation a meditation teacher said stop that because one of the natural things for the human body to do when you try to sit and purposefully not move is it wants to move it wants to move automatically and sometimes it wants to jerk and someone say well you go to a kundalini class and maybe you'll get some of that but uh, most spiritual uh, teachers in meditation, <clears throat> I won't mention names, but practically everyone that's known, will tell their students, stop that, it's not good, and they give all the reasons it shouldn't be done. Well, that, that's really out of, born out of ignorance, where in fact the body should do that. You should leave the body alone. It has greater wisdom than any teacher. It is the supreme teacher. So if you're sitting, if you're doing the meditation thing, and you find that your body wants to jerk, it wants to wiggle, let it be. You know, go raw 100% unedited Taoism on it and just allow this thing to naturalistically, naturally come forth in a spontaneous fashion. You can even sit on a bench or a comfortable chair and precipitate the natural rocking motion that you know how to do in a rocking chair. Or sit in a rocking chair, start there, then move that movement, that sort of pretend that your body's a pendulum. And if you sit and allow it to sway, something will kick in. It'll automatically move. If you give 20 minutes a day to that small, non-purposeful, spontaneous motion, it will grow. It will become a teacher and bring you in to the other ways in which the body can spontaneously express itself.
0: Okay, now I'm particularly interested in this wild love awakening kind of shaking that you were hinting at. How do I instigate that, that kind of shaking?
1: Well, it's an interesting thing because this has always been off the radar. It's been the most taboo thing in, 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 in history, certainly in written history, because whenever the wild, ecstatic heart awakening comes up, everybody tries to, to quiet it down and stop it. And the history of ecstatic expression has, has been, been something that, too, is, is all but lost in our history of, of world religions. It's hard to, if you ask a Quaker or a shaker, where did their quaking and shaking go, they can't tell you. It's a very interesting thing to to get around folks of those traditions. They don't know where the shake went. In fact, some people then argue about, did did it really mean physical shaking? Yes, it did. And um, so there's something very peculiar about our ability to hold— Okay, let's, let's, let's,
0: let's, let's, let's slow down on this point, Brad. So you're saying yeah. that both the Quakers, the American Quakers, and the yeah. Shakers, both of these two religious movements were originally, quote-unquote, movements that moved. They were moving movements, and that something happened within these traditions?
1: That's why they were called Shakers and Quakers. People the okay, so, is, yeah. Yeah,
0: br- break that down for me. Tell me what their original practices were and then what happened.
1: Well, it all began when a cobbler in England uh, received a small inheritance from his father and he decided that, that this is, his name was George Fox, he decided that he would take a long journey and see if he could find, find some clergyman who could bring him to have an experience one-to-one with God. Quite literally, he took a, took a pilgrimage, he went to France, went all over the place. And at that time, there were all kinds of religious cults in Christianity, and he tried one after another and was so discouraged because no one could help him have a close encounter you know, of the highest kind. And, um, and so on the way home, he just decided to have a talk to the creator himself and said, if you're there, I'm here and I'm ready. And a lightning bolt somehow took hold of, you know, he got zapped in the classical kind of old-fashioned conversion way. And he began to tremble and shake. That was the beginning of Quakerism. At that point, he uh, decided to fast and pray inside a hollow tree and receive visionary direction, and off he went. And he started a church. The Quaker church started pretty much you know, the way most historians now know. Everybody sits in the room and waits for spirit to make itself present. But in those days, spirit made itself present when somebody got hit by lightning, and, they, and it looked the same as something in Haiti or in Cuba, in Santeria or in Condomble or Umbanda in Brazil. It was the same ecstatic expression. So there you have it. It began quaking. And of course, you know Mother Ann Lee and all the others, all the way in which Shakers and Quakers, some you know, Shakers came on the scene. Same thing. It was all about people feeling the spirit on them in the way that the African diaspora had known for thousands of years.
0: And then what happened that the quaking and shaking was left out of these traditions?
1: Well, the first thing that happened was it required a full democracy. It meant there couldn't be a hierarchy. The spirit didn't care about who was in a hierarchical relationship to another. You couldn't have a Dalai Lama. You couldn't have a pope. Everybody was equal in matters of the spirit. It was between you and God. This upset the whole apple cart, because it led, among other people, women to believe that they could be free. There's a wonderful academic book, I think it's John Hopkins Press, written that just came out a couple of years ago, showing that part of the suppression of the Shaker and Quaker movement is because women were feeling freedom when they had the shake seize them, and they found out there's no reason to have any unnatural hierarchy. So it had political implications. But it also meant... On the other hand, how do we live in a truly free world where we can relate to other each other creatively as opposed to ritualistic? Because we know that in the living of life, it, it can either tend to lean towards being an improvisational art or it can be following the routines of someone's prescribed way of how we should behave with one another and shaking ecstatic heart awakening let people free. It said live life as jazz. It's improvisational. It moves. It's it's uh it's something that cannot be held, contained, predicted. It is in the most beautiful sense of the word, wild.
0: Okay, now I want to circle back because I interrupted you here about the Quakers and the Shakers, but I wanted to hear your response to how do I instigate this wild heart kind of shaking? Not just rocking in a rocking chair for 20 minutes, but how does the wild heart explosion-type shaking happen?
1: That's a little tricky because if you uh, happen to be a bushman in the Kalahari you know, at least once a week, uh, And when I say the Bushmen, they're all, you know, both Botswana and Namibia. You have to find the right place because it's going down fast. But if you found a village which has some strong umkausi, the doctors, who know how to shake once a week, the village is going to get together. And there's an opportunity to throw yourself into an ecstatic, shaking um, rapture. And there the shake is passed on. Someone gets it and they pass it on to someone else. Uh, It's not so easy to find anymore there because a lot of it's been routinized and and turned into sort of tourist performance, but it still exists. But here, uh, you might think I'm going to go find myself an old-fashioned sanctified church, but even they're hard to find because emotionalism has been toned down. It's very difficult. It's one of the reasons just last week I opened a shop in the French Quarter of New Orleans called the Mojo Doctors, and here we have the best of New Orleans musicians who have backgrounds in gospel, have backgrounds in blues and jazz, and we're creating an opportunity for people to experience the oldest form of spiritual practice and transformation. And so we, um, we call it rehab for the soul. It's serving extreme love and its presence in the awakening of people's everyday
0: life. So now you said that the shake is passed on from somebody who has been doing a lot of shaking, and that here may be potentially in mojo doctor land, you're quote-unquote passing the shake on. What does that mean to pass the shake?
1: Very good question. Uh, if the question were asked in the Kalahari, because they've been doing it longer than anyone, they would tell you there's two ways you get the shake. One, either someone who's a shaker passes it on to you, or you get zapped by the, by the heavens. And um, it's an interesting thing. I studied for uh, 20 years cultures that still have the presence of an ecstatic, shaking tradition and most find, most propose the same distinction. Some people got lucky as uh, they would say the gods loved this person or they decided to tease them and they shot lightning into their body. And that usually takes place in your early 20s. And, and others must find a teacher or someone who is a um, an owner of the the Bushmen say ngum, but the word ngum is similar to Kundalini or Holy Ghost or Spirit, or Wakan. All the many metaphors that talk about the universal life force. In which case, if you go to someone who is a master of the life force, uh, and as I said, there are different traditions with different metaphors of talking about this, then they must first soften you. Soften means get you ready. And that has a lot to do with getting your mind out of the way. It has a lot to do with uh, not being a control freak and just being ready for it. And then when you're ready, it comes, and the shake is passed on. It's like a spiritual tag. I got the spirit. I'm feeling it. Let me touch you. And that's the way it's done, through touch and also through voice and a kind of singing that's highly spirited. And, and I could go on and on. But this is, uh, of course, something that's been worked out for over 100,000 years.
0: Now, the metaphors that you've been using are, you know, hit by lightning or you've been zapped. The gods love you. So explain that, why that metaphor, hit by lightning.
1: That's what it feels like. It it, it can actually level you to the ground. Um, It feels like electricity. So someone receives mm, the life force. Let me say it this way. We're very familiar with hearing Asian energy practices, that are referred to as subtle energy. Let me say that the oldest energy practices are non-subtle. By non-subtle, I mean it feels like you plugged yourself into the socket, the wall, the electrical wall outlet. And it feels like you have been hit by lightning in its most amplified form. And that's when you see people jerk, like they'll jerk or, or fall over. They'll be so filled with, with energy. They you know, Speaking the Quakers and Shakers, the early shakers and um, people of the ecstatic Christian church, some of the, the elders would get so excited, they would leap over the pews in a church service and run out and run home by leaping over the, over the fences. It was, you know, it's extraordinary energy that fills one up. And an energy that doesn't make you feel uh, powerful or, boy, I have some magic in my side. It's just so much joy. you just go beyond yourself in the expression of a new kind of lightness that feels like you can almost fly.
0: Mm -hmm. So in your Rehab for the Soul Center in New Orleans, where you Mojo doctors are at work, are you passing on the shake there? And if so, what method are you using?
1: Well, it's really not a method, other than you can say that we work the spirit. I mean, the older the tradition, the less uh, protocol, the less ritualistic routine. What it is is if you're a mojo doctor, which is a metaphor I'm using because nobody knows what that means, and so it can mean anything, and for us it means we're doctors of extreme love. It means that we, handle on, we pass on the, the, mm, the, the life spirit, and we, as we like to say, utilize the best of the healing traditions that are both ancient and modern. It's because this form of ecstatic work was not only in Africa, it emerged in the Samurai period of Japan, and one of the, the last great practitioner of it, Akuko Osumi-sensei, who was the personal uh, spiritual teacher of most of the Japanese living treasures and the old samurai families, was one of my teachers, and, and she passed that tradition to me. So I'm familiar with its embodiment in other cultures. So here at the Mojo Doctor's shop on Charter Street next to the W Hotel, uh, right in the middle of the French Quarter, uh, we have uh, lineage and connection to those different traditions. And it might start with um, me sitting behind my nine-foot Steinway piano and just waiting for the spirit to come on. So I might have a drummer, or I might have a bassist, or I might have somebody on the Hammond B3, and we just sort of get that, start to work that spirit. So in the beginning, you might think, uh, I'm in a blues club, or you might think that I've just walked into a sanctified black church, and all of a sudden, hey, somebody feels it. I feel it. I get, I've got to get myself wakened up, and I have to get myself you know, filled with the mmm. I've got to get that spirit cooking in me. And when it's boiling, then you just let it go. We call it working the spirit. That's the way it used to be said in the old days, whether you were in Haiti, Cuba, New Orleans, or in Africa way. You were working the spirit, and the spirit works you. And it might mean talking, and it might mean not talking. It might be touching. It might mean shaking. It just has a life of its own. These days, because I'm also a professor, I hold an endowed chair at the University of Louisiana, my colleague Hilary Stevenson and I have a little center we call Circulus. We call this work Circular Poetics. We allow the circularity of the present to completely grab us and bring forth the poetics of what life intends to perform. So, in a way, it's a theater. It's a theater of creative transformation. So, what you might see in an extraordinary theatrical event and where people are brought on stage live to have an encounter that nobody knows where it will go, but it's involving and committed to transforming and awakening the heart, it could be anything. And that's what makes it exciting. It makes it new. It makes it fresh. It makes it unique. It makes it invented as a unique form for every time. So, it does not adhere to any working protocol. You can't teach someone how to do it. All, all you can do is help somebody be filled with the Spirit, and then the Spirit does the work.
0: Okay, so let's say that I'm listening to this program and I live far away from New Orleans and don't know any people who I think might be able to pass the shake on to me. How can I explore this on my own? Can you give me a few more clues about that?
1: Well, you know, it always works best when held in community. But that doesn't mean that it, it's restricted to being held in community. It's just that everything works better in a relational network. If you're going to, re, if you're going to perform music, the music's more alive when there are other people in the room. And so that's, that's an important thing to say. But it only takes another person. If you can find another human being who wants to join you, in an, an experimental search for the awakening of spirit, then there are some useful guiding principles. And these I've actually written about in the book, The Bushman Way of Tracking God, and the book just came out um, on, the, on the flying drum. I lay out some principles that can help people you know, pursue their being hit by lightning. In other words... How can I put a bullseye straight in my heart, stand underneath the cosmos and say, notice me to the gods, and they get interested enough and, and to say, let's, let's, let's hurl a lightning bolt straight in the middle of that bullseye. Now, that said, it will be surprising to know that most of the ways of being ready for being hit by a heart awakening go contrary, go opposite to practically every spiritual teaching that's out there. So it's going to sound surprising to most.
0: That's okay. Bring it on, Brad. Bring it on.
1: First of all, we got to get rid of the intentionality. No intentionality. No human being is clever enough to have an intentional purpose when they sit down to meditate or wish for anything. When you wish upon a star, don't intend anything. You're too stupid. We're all morons. No human being can say, I, you know, I want my Jaguar, I want success, or I think the world should be helped in this way, help me find a cure to malaria. You can't do it that way. That's, that's just... Uh, that's too narrow of an of, uh, emphasis upon human consciousness being too purposeful and being too full of itself and important. You've got to basically get down and dirty and say, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to ask for. In fact, you need to get even further down. You need to get further down and realize you're no different, no better than anyone, including someone serving time in prison. You've got to be leveled. You don't need self-esteem. Self-esteem is the worst thing that ever came along. You don't need to think, I have God within That stuff completely is the work of trickster. That's what I learned. That's what I was taught. And that's what you must do to get yourself soft. Soft means ultimately jaded. Soft means I don't know a damn thing. I am someone who needs to get down and realize, good God, I don't even know if there's a reason for me to live. I'm such a miserable, you know what? In other words, you need to be broken. The brokenness helps soften you. That's when you reach up and say, Creator, Lord, whatever the word is for you. That's a metaphor that evokes the sacred. Here I am in great need. Make I'm available. I move everything out of the way. Hurl me some lightning. Strike me dead. That's the way they used to pray in the Civil War. Those old slaves first came out. First interview they ever took of someone who felt that they had been converted used to pray. Strike me dead somebody strike me dead somebody hurl me down a lightning bolt i want to feel it come through the core i want that energy coming through me i want that electricity i want god's electricity i want it to set me on fire and when you sort of fall into that desperation guess what something miraculous the most miraculous thing that can ever happen you might get your diploma of being someone who's received the gifts of spirit And the gifts of spirit aren't a piece of paper that says I went to a university graduate program and says I'm officially certified as a healer or a therapist or a whatever. And it's not someone who went to a workshop and said, yes, I've learned because I went these many weekends and now I'm a healer. That's crazy. The only diploma in spirituality is that you receive a song. It's all music. That's why whenever you see the most ecstatic healers, they're in the port cities, Where there's a lot of music going on that's why new orleans has got the mojo the new age hangs out where people don't have any music they ain't got any soul they don't move their booty you come down here people feel in the spirit and what god gives what the creator gives is a song i don't care if it's lakota i don't care if it's dene i don't care if it's africa you go to the source of shamanism and you go to the source of the ancient healing traditions What the diploma is, is you receive a song. Without a song, you don't have a word to say. And if anyone who's teaching spirituality doesn't say that it's about the song, I don't need to say anything more. It's about the music, because the music has the wings on which your heart can hold on to and soar. And in that exhilaration of flight that a song, not words, can bring. Anybody tells you they talk to God Run for the hills! Nobody talks to God because God doesn't talk. God's bored with the words. Words may be used by trickster, so Bushmen say, and trickster is just a part of the whole, and it's not necessarily, in, you know, rigorous dualism. Trickster uses the words the free us from other words that we got stuck in. But the words themselves are unimportant. It's the music and the rhythms that enable our heart to jump on and have wings, and we soar. And there we go straight into the classrooms of the world of spirit and all the gifts there come. You're me worked up just talking about
0: it. I love it. Well, these guidelines are, are totally working for me. I mean, I know what you mean in terms of them being contrary to some of the current ideas in spirituality, meaning no intentionality. We're broken. We're wretched. We've got a bullseye on our heart. We're asking to be slain by spirit. What else? What else?
1: Oh, you need to tease the daylights out of each other. <laughs> you must value. You must know deeply within you that the extent to which we practice and cultivate a reverence and embodiment of the absurd is the extent to which we will be taken to the highest realms of the visionary know-how. This means anyone who's not smiling and not laughing most of the time need to start all over again, and anyone who takes themselves too serious, seriously needs to reconsider the whole show. So that by teasing, I mean mercilessly teasing, and you know this when you hang around with old, old, old timers from indigenous Way, that there's this value on contrariness and teasing, teasing. But what I'm saying is more than that. I mean, we need to embody it. Embod[y] it so we're constantly not only shaking our bodies in a state of constant reverie. We need to shake up our everyday routines. We need to do things like I think this morning I think I'll walk out backwards to the front door and and uh, pick up the newspaper with the other hand, and then just take it down to the grocery store and put it in the freezer. You know, just doing something completely off the wall that people would say that's absolutely crazy. That's absurd. Hallelujah, that helps you be free, not so bound together by the glue of everyday habitual structures. So in shaking up the routines of the everyday and shaking up the words and shaking up the knowings, you don't want any categorical grills for, grids, for God's sake. The worst thing you can have is someone saying, I have a theory of everything, and we'll put all the grids and the typologies here and there. That's imprisonment. That's absolutely antithetical to anything that comes from the world of spirit. Spirit wants to be free. Shake that thing up, too you know, turn those grids, let them free, kick open the boxes, be free of anything, including the idea of being free of anything. And you know what I mean, because it doesn't matter what it is you say, it's the the energy inside the saying. I like to say it this way. If you have the life force in your belly, if you're on fire, if you're full, as my teacher from Japan said, if you're full of Seiki, and if the Bushmen say lightning has struck you and you have the womb flowing through every vein in your body, it doesn't matter what you read, it's holy. You can stand in front of an audience and read the phone book, and now it's a sacred text. But if you ain't got no hmm, if you ain't got a drop of life force, the holiest books are dead when you articulate or try to talk about them in any form. Boy, you're working me up some more.
0: I'm hearing your song. <laughs> Now, Brad, what I'd be curious about is how you originally were hit by lightning. What happened?
1: I was lucky. I was 20 years old and had no interest in anything but science. I'd won the International Science Fair, had a scholarship to MIT, and wished that I was playing jazz piano in a club. And the last thing I was interested in was anything called spirituality. And out of nowhere, because I was tinkering, you see, with music, I was jamming, playing music, and loving the feeling of it. When I was a kid, I wanted to be George Gershwin, you know. Just all, and I didn't, I didn't know that they were the shamans. I didn't know that George M. Cohen and George Gershwin and Irving Berlin and, you know, and Bert Bacharach. These, these, these were the shamans. They were catching the songs. So I'm tinkering. I'm writing songs, and lo and behold, I got hit by lightning. And it happened in a in a most uh, uh, interesting way. I was simply walking to a record store back in the days when they sold records uh, to get a Ramsey Lewis album. And something just came over me. And keep in mind, I wasn't like everybody else in the 60s. Um, I never had a drug and never even had a glass of, of, of alcohol. I was just a scientific, I was a science nerd who loved jazz. And this calm came over me, and I felt my weight sort of disappear pretty soon. I felt like I was gliding along the sidewalk, and before I knew it, I, was, I had walked myself into the university chapel. I sat down the first pew, and bam, um, this, this, this molten lava was born in my belly or the base of my spine, and this heat increased and slowly crept up my, my, uh, my back, and out the top of my head, and as it happened, my heart just grew and grew and grew. It felt like it exploded and became the universe. And I trembled and shook, and I felt nothing but love. There was nothing scary. It was nothing uh, weird. It was it was just such an absorption experience that I, I just became inseparable from love. It was it was just it was just nothing but love. And then there was this visionary experience where in front of me was about a six foot tall oval egg, luminous egg, and in it was was filled. You know, the images of the, of the great spiritual icons, you know, from Jesus to, to the apostles to, to people I didn't even recognize from other traditions. And the teaching was a downloading that I felt it rather than heard words. The words were felt, the, the whatever teachings were completely downloaded into the heart. This didn't last an hour. This lasted all night. This thing went through the night. And the next day, you know, it was a miracle that nobody saw me in there trembling and shaking and calling an ambulance or whatever. I made it through the night, and uh, for a week I had to keep my head bowed because if I looked up, the lights started to come on. I had no idea what had happened, but I knew it had been the most amazing experience any human being could have. So I went to a bookstore, and and, uh, a book sort of dropped off the shelf how these things happen, and it was the autobiography of Gopi Krishna. That's the first time I heard the word kundalini and that this thing could happen. That's how it started for me, and um, I started shaking 40 years ago.
0: When you say that you started shaking, what actually, what did you start to do? What did it actually look like from the outside?
1: Well, if you're looking on the outside, you know, you saw me sitting on the front, front row pew of a cha- university chapel, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and I'm feeling, which I'm, I'm certain uh, I would believe probably the room was very hot because I was very hot and I'm and I'm I'm sitting there trembling. My arms, my hands are trembling, my whole body is 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 shaking, quite literally. You know, I don't know that anyone would know whether at first glance I was sh- trembling out of fear or trembling because I was an epileptic or or trembling because I was in rapture. That I can't tell you, but but for me it was complete rapture. And it's not it was not subtle, you know, I was really rocking and rolling. And um, if you've seen film clips of people practicing, you know, in the African diaspora, you know that kind of shaking. You know, whether it's the the, the voodoo ceremony of Haiti or or someone, as we as as the outsiders would say, this person looks possessed by the spirit. Indeed, you are. You're possessed by life. You're possessed by the here and now. If you're fully possessed by the here and now, it's a bliss. It's so ecstatic that you can't help but tremble with joy. But the trembling wasn't a freaking out. It wasn't a panic response. It was—it was just being so so absolutely happy you couldn't hold it. You know, everybody knows butterflies when they get in you. But when you get the butterflies, you go, "Ooh, I'm starting." If I let them go, I got to calm them down because if the butterflies flutter too much more, it'll start to feel like anxiety because it feels like it's out of control. But if you really didn't have that fear and allowed the butterfly to become a hawk and allowed the hawk to become you know a, a tornado, then a hurricane, then the cosmic wind, then then you're in it you know i later found that you know uh, buck wrote this book way back you know and i don't know how many years ago what 80 years ago called cosmic consciousness and he recorded cases of people who've had this kind of transformation some more poetic some some more based and born of feeling but i didn't i didn't really know i knew that when i looked at that the literature of kundalini, everybody seemed to be scared of it. They Oh, there's spiritual emergencies. And I didn't understand that because there wasn't anything frightening about it. It was absolutely beautiful and joyous. It wasn't until years later when I was a visiting professor at the University of South Africa and asked to go out and meet the Bushmen because I had dreamed where I should go visit, that I found that they called this experience receiving God's ostrich egg,
0: that hmm. this
1: luminous presentation of uh, oval shape to them was called an, an ostrich egg and that if you're lucky around that time in your life you receive this and all the teachings of spirit are given to you and then it, then it takes a while for you to figure out how to you know work it in the world with these things and um, that's sort of the crazy story of my life you know what can I say I, I I didn't want this I didn't look for it I just found I got downloaded with something extraordinary that probably is stranger to explain to anyone than being picked up by a UFO and taken to another dimension. And now I'm 60 years old and feeling like, the hell with it. I'm just going to tell people the truth. Here it is. This is what it is. And in spite of all the nonsense you're being told, this is what it is. And here we are working the spirit, the old-fashioned way in New Orleans. So you're as likely to hear a blues tune as hear somebody singing, Jesus Loves Me or Precious Lord, or breaking into just a, uh, you know, a wild jazz thing, and from time to time, a little Gershwin. But all that to help open the hearts, to let the words come forth in a circular, poetic way, and enable the people to help help them be softened, freed from all the nonsense, all the hardening of their categories through the th- attachment to theory and believing that it's going to be a new understanding or a glimpse of a holistic view of this or whatever It's not about any of that. It's about play. We're talking about a theology of play, a theology of jazz. We're talking about letting it all free so the heart can soar.
0: Now, I've heard people share kundalini awakening experiences, spontaneous kundalini awakening experiences that are are relatively similar to yours in terms of the heat rising in front of the spine. But I've never heard anybody share a story about receiving God's ostrich egg before, meaning I've never heard... Not just that phrase, but the idea of a big oval, six-foot oval, in front of the person and then being downloaded, the wisdom. Tell me a little bit about what do you make of this receiving of the ostrich egg?
1: Well, of course, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any uh, form or historical knowledge before it happened. And and afterwards, I, I looked for a bit, but I, I don't know. I just, I, you know, I, I, I was... Less interested in understanding than I was in continuing to enjoy the ongoing downloading and and the events that took place in in my life as as a consequence of it. I don't know. I thought you know this is how it happened. I just thought that if if, uh, if this fire gets in your belly and it rises, um, and and I thought I at that point remember I'm I'm 20 and uh, a science nerd who plays jazz and with with no no. Uh, uh, familiarity with with world religions, um, I just thought this was God. this was a gift of God and, and that God was love and, and this was a direct encounter of god 's love and being downloaded into me through all of these uh, images but i, I don 't know that I would I, at the time i didn 't know it, was, it would be i didn 't think oh there 's an ostrich egg. I just saw a six foot oval shape that was luminous, and in it was this um, was this extraordinary multi-sensory experience. It was more than seeing, you know, it was psychokinesthetic. It was seeing, hearing, feeling all at the same time. That was the nature of the download. But the startling thing was to find from Bushman elders that's how it is for them, those who get the download straight from the sky god. And, um, um, and I, I, don't, I don't have any answers. I don't know how it is that the world's first people got it that way um, those who had the direct transmission and I certainly can't give any reason other uh, than the Bushmen just just laugh they just think it's absolutely hilarious that you know some crazy white person from across the world you know received the ostrich egg and um, because that's the nature of how they hold everything they they find all of it as a cosmic uh, comedy of, of God's love and filled with Constant uh, trickery by tricksters, uh, which are the productions of mind, and and that we all sort of die laughing about it. But it is what happened, and and uh, it is fascinating why other kundalini awakenings go so far. I think maybe it's because people know too much sometimes when they're having it, and you know, I'm just going to make something up. In the same way, I go to I, I go to uh, sanctified churches in the south, and uh, the most emotional ones I can find. That's the metaphor. The people who go to them or refer to them as you know how emotional they are, how open to spirit. And I'm always interested why people who feel the spirit. And this is another way of getting back to your question: where do people go? Where well, they can go to the Holy Ghost Church or to the Sanctified Church or something like that? You'll see some spirit you know working on people's bodies, and you'll feel it. The music's good. The music's good. Hang around, and you know let let all the understanding, the theology go, like you'd let any book on spirituality go, because it, it it's you want to not be attached to anything. But, the, um, but what I noticed there is pe- people get at the spirit and they just pass out. You know, they're slain in the spirit. It's sort of like, hold it. That's just kindergarten. Getting slain in the spirit is kindergarten. You want to learn to stand up. Don't pass out. So, uh, you know, if you're going into a worked-up revival service and you feel all that energy coming at you, don't pass out. Just stand up. Stand straight. And you'll find as you learn to stand in the spirit, automatic things start to come on. And you learn by being in it, and your whole body starts to become rewired. This I know. And, and, but I guess if you've had a teacher or you've read a book about what a Kundalini thing does, then you have these kind of preconceptions, and they start to shape the experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Which brings me to one idea that you have that I'd like to challenge you on. Let's see how this goes. Which it seems that you've put meditators in a certain category that meditators are having controlled versus wild experiences. And I'm curious if you think it's possible that the kind of shaking, trembling, uncontrolled flow of energy could be happening in a meditator who appears quiet on the outside, but there's actually quite a lot of explosive fire on the inside. What do you think, Brad?
1: Absolutely. Of course it can. Absolutely. Anything can happen. Uh, same in the Kalahari, there's sometimes you feel the juice inside, it's moving, it's not manifesting its itself on the outside. Um, many, many things can happen. I'm only shaking up people's attachment to thinking there's only one side of the of the dance. Uh, of course in an idealized world we're gonna know that and I don't even need to call it meditation, I'll just call it, you know, deep deep relaxation or deep stillness or whatever as opposed to heightened arousal. But but certainly shaking meditation, if we can resurrect those two terms once more uh are are equally important and what's most important is that they be in dancing in dan- a dancing relationship to each other see this was the natural way in the beginning people felt the drums because you get the drums going and you get the singing going you're not gonna sit still you're gonna move and when you're moving and you get grabbed by the spirit you're gonna be danced you're gonna be worked on and then after a while you collapse you fall to the ground And your mind is completely cleared and empty because it can't track any of that. It can't hold it. There's no category that can be put in and placed and understood. At that moment, you go straight into the zone that someone working hard in meditation is trying to find. The benefit from going to that, it it, it swings right to the other side. And, of course, you say the same thing. If you really pursue the meditation, it will swing you into an ecstatic state. What we need is that whole circle. That's, That's the big news. It's that this is the other half. The other half. What we've got is we've just got, we just got, you know, Daddy telling everybody to sit still. Well, we need to go back as to Mama Africa. Mama Africa says, "Get up and dance, feel the earth." So we need both. We need both the Mama and Father of spirituality. And we've just clipped off our roots to Africa, and really don't know the extent to which it has something to say as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm not. I when I say move over meditation, it's time for shaking medicine. That's me shaking things up. Yeah. The heart of it is they're wed together. You can't have one without the other.
0: Yeah. Now, what is your vision, Brad? I know it's big and vast, but just give me a sense of it for the kind of group shaking that you could see happening in the world that would really provide us with the collective shakeup that we need. What is it that you see?
1: Well, it's got to come on all fronts. It's not just, it's not about the ecstatic dance movement, that's too purposeful. Ecstatic dance actually has a real, a real uncomfortable um, dualism for me, which is like, uh, you know, ecstatic dance is a form of dancing that releases you into ecstasy. Nonsense. Tango is about it getting reaching ecstasy. Uh, flamenco in Spain, they're chasing what they call duende. It's the same as mm, the life force. All of dance is looking for the embodiment of, of the life force to, to express itself, to dance the dancer. So I'm not talking about being a part of the dualistic, at least implied, inside ecstatic dancing. I'm talking we need to shake everything up, including the way we think about moving our bodies or sitting still, but also the way we think and the way we think about thinking and the way we hold ideas. I mean, I want to propose a theory of nothing. I want to, prof- I want to propose, you know, an, a, 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 what Hillary calls a circular poetics something that dances and brings forth a circular movement when we play rather than work over seriously to pin down. We play with, so it moves us, it turns us, it spins us. So let's shake everything up. We need, we need to elect someone to office that's, a, that's, that's an absurdist. We need more absurdity. We need that to be, be pouring through the, through the pages of, of curriculums and libraries. And we need, after shaking everything up, to realize that nobody knows what the total agenda should be i don't have an agenda and and i'm just available to to be worked on by spirit and to work the spirit i can't tell you what will happen in the next session every session i have every group is different i can tell you that i've worked with small groups I've worked with families. I've worked with couples. I work with prisoners in prisons. I work with adolescents. I work with people in trouble with the law. I work with diagnosed schizophrenics, people with depression. I work with people with gambling addictions. I work with everything. I work with people that are just seekers. It doesn't matter. Come have the experience of having spirit touch you, shake you on all domains that hold your living. I've seen that this work once I was on stage at the Miami Arena with Al Miola and his band. And we shook the whole audience up, so it doesn't have to be confined to a small group. It can be an entire arena. But right now, right now, the um, the work is coming out of several places. Hillary and I run a, a center, as I mentioned, Circulus at the University of Louisiana, where we address all of these notions as a, in a formal academic way, based upon the science of cybernetics, which is the first science of complexity. My my mentors were originally Gregory Bateson and Heinz von Forster to the pioneers of cybernetic thinking so we're we're holding on to the intellectual um, foreground there and we're sort of against anything that has words like integral and things like that all these things are too fixed you know we're trying to push play and improvisation into the system because right now there's this sort of battle of hegemony uh, hegemony for taking over transformative education with stuff that we find being not very creative or transformative. The next battle we're fighting is mental health. Mental health is absolutely stuck in the medical model. So we're out there providing an alternative to psychotherapy and coaching because coaching is just psychobabble recycled without a license. And, um, and, we're, and we're challenging the whole of spiritual practice. We're shaking everything up we can possibly think of. As I said in the crazy CD I made for you all, is that it'd be a wonderful thing for the Dalai Lama and the Pope to exchange costumes for a week. Anything that shakes us up to not be held inside a particular habituated way that interferes with us being soft, human beings who offer our hearts to the universe to be able to be danced and amused by the gods. The gods are bored with us. We need to do something to catch their interest. Then they'll dance us. They'll move us. I could go on, but Tammy, it's just part of the divine dance that we're having this conversation right now. It's just such a joy to be able to talk to you about these ways. And I hear the truth and sincerity in you and all you're trying to to do to help bring forth a difference in a time when there's not really too many differences making a difference. A time when we need more than to say it. A time when we need to feel it. And that feeling can touch our hearts and level us to the ground. And in there we have you know hope. A hope for an embodied way of being agents, spokespeople, and performers, and ambassadors for the extreme love.
0: I just have one final question for you, Brad. This program is called Insights at the Edge. And, you know, normally I like to push people who have strong ideas and seem very definitive about things and ask them, you know, what's your edge? What's that thing that you don't usually talk about? Or that's your own kind of growing challenge in your life. But now I'm here with a mojo doctor, shake spinner, costume changer, circular poetic man, and I'm curious, even with all of that rumble tumble, do you have an edge? And what I mean by that is something that is hard for you to go beyond, some way that you maybe are a little, quote unquote, stuck in some part of your life, that even all the shaking doesn't seem to shake up.
1: Oh, that's a wonderful question. Um, for, for, for me at, at the moment, um, the language of, of, of being wild and free in itself can obscure a deeper truth of it being about, about that which doesn't need a lot of words to convey, that is simply being about love. And so if you truly love people and you feel the love in your heart, it's not so necessary to be clever. And it's not so necessary to be um, someone having to prove to the world that they're the great teacher or they have the answer. It's uh, it's actually more important to meet people where they are. And I'm seeing a lot of people who are where I live now who've lost their homes from Katrina, who are displaced, and they grew up in little neighborhood churches and um, for them, spirituality, they've never heard of any of the tapes that you offer. Not a single one of them. They only, they've only they only heard of the Bible. And they've only heard of their grandmothers talking to them about, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And they only know songs like, yes, Jesus loves me. They only know that. And here they are, you know, living their life. And for me to walk in there and talk the way we're talking, it's sort of like, what? So, for me, the challenge is how to meet people where they are and let the love flow through whatever metaphor or belief system is there, not to be attached to anything, including all this highfalutin talk about the next transformative way of being in the world. And As a consequence of that, we just made a decision to open up a little storefront church that has some of our musicians from the formerly displaced black churches here in New Orleans, and we're just going to just be old-fashioned. And we had a little service last week, I just got up and sang some hymns for an hour and I didn't talk anything like this and that was that was a real edge for me because I found just feel it and meet people with the metaphors they bring to the table and and wrap yourself around it in a loving way and allow allow the love underneath it to be more important than the fancy display of all the pyrotechnics of our epistemological assumptions and our ontological challenges and all the metaphors we can juggle in the air. Just simply sing of love in the songs that people's grandmothers gave them. And in that, find true community and true neighborhood. So that's what came up for me.
0: Wonderful. Well, Brad, thank you for meeting me right here in the heart. I really appreciate it. I feel you really shook it up and we're right here for the meeting so thank you
1: thank you so much I really appreciate your questions and your presence and all the best to you on your beautiful journey
0: we've been talking to Bradford Keeney he's created a program with Sounds True called Shaking the original path to ecstasy and healing for SoundsTrue.com, my name's Tammy Simon thanks for listening SoundsTrue.com. many voices one journey